Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, as always, Christian Schiller. I hope everybody is well. This will definitely be the last Weekly Squeak before Christmas and we'll take next week off, maybe before the end of the year. I'll probably do an end of year roundup, something like that. I'm not sure. I still have quite a few things to share with you, actually. Eh, Christmas, Christmas. I don't think 2020, uh, 2020 we can do things a little differently. Everything else has been done differently. Anyway, I digress. I have quite a good interview for you. I'm probably going to get the name pronunciation completely wrong, even though I learned French for seven years. Julien Lemoine of Algolia, sort of infamous um, use-it-yourself search solution for sites and services and all sorts of things. But first, I have a few links to share with you. A lot of uh, links of kind of following up with stories we've been following for some time. So let's switch to those and start with my links of the week. All right, first and foremost, this is from Chris Holt on Engadget, but this was, as always, widely reported. Google and the mysterious Fuchsia operating system. Still no one is completely sure what it's there for. (laughs) And there is now a dev website for it as well, which says very little. Um, And it's open for contributions, even though no one is exactly sure what it's for. Um, it seems to be for sort of edge computing, IoT, things like that, but it's still somewhat um, confusing. Uh, there is now source code you can download and an emulator, which I think I will get my hands on. I might, I would love to to give that a go, actually, and see see what it does exactly. I don't think there's a front end or anything like that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's weird to ask you for contributions, but no one really knows what it's there for. So it's kind of strange. Um, but uh, if that intrigues you, it's got its own kernel. It's kind of the first um, completely from scratch operating system in some time. So it's, it's kind of interesting to, to see uh, what people do with it and what it ends up being. Uh, I think a lot of people are thinking it might be an Android replacement, but I don't think that is the case. It doesn't look like it, but we will see. Bit more news from Google now. Um, If you didn't notice, (laughs) Google suffered a major outage. This is on The Guardian from Alex Hearn. But uh, again, widely reported, widely tweeted, widely noticed. I don't really want to specifically focus on what happened It was basically a storage issue with their authentication service, which affects lots of different things. But I think I wanted to use it as an example, as many have, of um, why doing everything in the cloud is not a good idea. And this is something I try to do myself all the time, actually. Um, And even though a lot of the businesses I work with all use Google um, business services, I often try to have offline copies of everything. So obviously with email, that's relatively easy. Just use any kind of email client. Calendars are the same. Um, But I also use, I think I have it open up. Oh, I'm sharing my web browser. But there's this, um, let me, uh, yeah, InSync is one I use. There was obviously also the official Google um, kind of drive downloader thing. But I have never found it particularly useful whereas InSync it is paid for but it actually gives you offline copies of all of the Google Drive um, items and if appropriate will even convert them to Office documents if you want it to Um, it's not always flawless and sometimes if you make changes synchronizing those changes back it can be a little wonky but if you just want to be able to actually access and even just read files without having 
access to Google Drive. I think it's wonderful. It's also good for searching because I can just do a system search and, and find files because they're local. Um, that's one thing. YouTube is a little harder. But I think the most fascinating one here was things like Google Home, like not being able to turn lights on and off because you can't access Google Home, ring doorbells, things like that. They're not, I don't think they're even, available. well, they are available in Europe, but they're not particularly common. Uh, but just this sort of crazy thing that your your home is a victim of a server outage. And of course, also much more commonly a victim of hacking and things like that. Or Nest, not Ring, that's it, sorry. And yeah, and even the... Um, School services, pixel books, things like that being widely used right now, it actually affects those too. And uh, yeah, so you suddenly realize how much you rely on the cloud when it goes down, which is why I like to have offline copies of everything. And uh, please do let me know if you have any more questions on what those options could be for you. So we talked about Google. Let's now talk about Firefox and Mozilla. Uh, Mozilla is increasingly um man i've really got to get ad blocker back on <laughs> sorry to all the video watchers um from stephen j vaughan i don't want to say friend of the show but i mention him a lot on zdnet um mozilla is increasingly in trouble i flit in and out of using it as you might better tell i'm now back with safari I liked using Brave, but I just got sick of the overhead of, of Chrome. And I've also been using a really nice um, tool for cross-device um, and browser bookmark syncing called Raindrop, which I've been loving, actually. I liked it so much, I even upgraded to the, uh, the paid plan within a few days. Um, so it doesn't really matter what browser I'm using, I have access to the bookmarks, pocket and things like that. So actually it's becoming easier to synchronize your bookmarks and what you're reading between browsers and platforms anyway. And I'm still using Brave on my mobile. But talking here about just the problems Mozilla seems to endlessly be having, it doesn't really have any sustainable income. Um, a lot of its projects are getting pushed by the wayside. It's always been a very distracted company, even though there's lots of things that we do use all the time. JavaScript, Rust to a lesser extent, DNS over HTTPS and all sorts of other things. But then it's laid off lots of employees, including developers. Um, and they, I think I reported this when it came out. They blamed the coronavirus pandemic. I don't really see how that would affect Mozilla, to be honest with you. I mean, advertising revenues, maybe, but um, no one else has been complaining so much, so it's hard to say. Um, but then also, um, she got a pay rise, which is always somewhat inappropriate that you get pay rises for laying people off, but that's certain um, national business structures for you. And also that Mozilla makes most of their money from a deal with Google, which is kind of weird. Google could kind of kill it if they wanted to but i guess they probably make enough to justify it and the browser share browser market share uh, oh and also the verizon sorry a lot of their money also came from a legal settlement which is somewhat depressing so what will happen next year um but they are losing money definitely what was the main thing i was looking for um they're closing down their offices i was trying to find the browser market share here we go 3.4 percent so, I mean, that's still a large number, but it's not large in comparison to everybody else. I think, I don't think it's the lowest, that's for sure, but it's low. And they've added, yeah, Pocket. I did have Pocket Premium for a bit. I 
don't really find a need for it. A VPN, there's lots of VPNs. I mean, yeah, they're not particularly revolutionary or necessary products. So we will see. One of the um, grandparents of the browser and the internet could be, unfortunately, on its way out. Another one I've been following quite a bit throughout the year. Uh, this is a follow-up to on GPT-3. Again, this is the New York Times by Kade Metz. I'll zoom in a little bit here on the font if you're reading along on video. Um, a programmer <laughs> taught it to program from visual prototyping tools, which is kind of cool, kind of scary. I have been wanting to get my hands on GPT-3 for some time, actually, and try some uh, natural language processing experiments with it, but I haven't yet. Um, what else? And then, uh, yeah, a, a, uh, I don't know who, who is pop psychologist Scott Barry Kaufman. He tweeted some things at him that Kaufman even thought, hey, that kind of sounds like me. Um, but then we obviously get into a lot of details. It comes up quite a lot that once you get further, how deep can it go? And even the makers um, admit this. I think they sometimes admit it on um, almost on purpose to put people at ease. Um, and uh, yeah, the this one, I'm trying to find the... This is it, here we go. Um, and then, yeah, Scott Barry Kaufman attempted to have a conversation with the GPT-3 and it soon got into somewhat rudimentary territory of... Um, the AI just kind of repeating things back at him quite quickly. Um, but, I mean, I've had plenty of conversations like this myself. So, <laughs> um, And, yes, the programmer, where are we? Here we go. Jordan Singer from Square. He actually fed in descriptions of a smartphone app. And it says here the computer code needed to create the app. Uh, that's a little vague. I'm not quite sure what that could mean, but he did it, trained it over a few um, occurrences and it was able to, again, it says, write such code on its own. What exactly that means, still unsure exactly, but albeit it's interesting. And I think this has come up a few times um, when I've covered AI topics. I think if you go back and look at... Um, Oh, there's a music AI generator company I interviewed some time back. And a lot of these services say they're here to assist, not replace. Hopefully that remains true. Now my, and finally section, I have two for you. First one uh, from Tim Ventura on uh, Medium, Predict. Um, why didn't Microsoft dominate the smartphone market? It doesn't go particularly deep, but it's a nice summary and a great picture here of Steve Ballmer. <laughs> His very uh, expressionful face. Um, what went wrong? What happened? Um, and why were they so late? And yeah, I think it's a story that's been told before a few times, but it's always interesting to revisit and remind ourselves of what could have been. An interesting thing I will say, currently this is being hidden by telling me to resume my membership, but if you do uh, read this post somehow, and there are ways, seeing the, the screenshots of the differences between iOS, Android, and Microsoft um, phone, Microsoft phone, Windows, Windows phone, whatever it was called, it looks so different. And yeah, and I think that was its biggest um, 
flaw in it, and it's because positive in some ways. And finally, another post from Medium from Hussein Raspberry on the History of Yesterday blog. Um, five historical facts that destroy your perception of time. I kind of loved as a great picture here as well. Um, pretty much kind of saying, here's something that happened X years ago that isn't as long as ago as you think, or that's longer ago than you think. And I often reflect on this. I often think that um, we have a relatively short memory span when it comes to historical events. And we always tend to live very much in the moment and very little backwards and forwards in thinking about the movement of time and thinking about things like, yeah, it's not that long ago that all cities didn't have running water and sanitation and things like that. And we often think that um, what we have has been around for a long time or what we have is very new and, and vice versa, and that's not always true. And I always find these sorts of things quite sobering and history should be taught in a different way. Anyway. (laughs) So that was my links for the week. And now I have an interview with Julien Lemoine of Algolia. Now I will warn you here, we had some uh, disconnection issues at Julien's end with the system I was using at the time. I'm actually not using it anymore. And so if you are watching the video, there are drop-offs in the video where I lost his um, video periodically. If you just listen to the audio, I was recording the audio locally and it continues. And um, yeah, you'll just get a few dropouts here and there. But for the most part, it's still quite um, possible to, to watch and to listen. So enjoy. Julia, co-founder and CTO of Algolia. And uh, at Algolia, we developed uh, the most flexible solution uh, in terms of search as a service uh, targeting developer. And by flexible, we mean we are an API-first company. It's easy to start with. You can use the product without any specific knowledge in search, but the product is fully transparent and you have the control over all the settings. So it's really a product that's targeted toward developer and give them like all the flexibility uh, in a cloud environment. It, it feels like Algolia is, um, it, it feels like I've known you for a while, but I get the feeling the company probably isn't as old as I may think. So how, how long have you existed? So we founded the company in 2012. So eight okay. years ago. Okay. Yep. Sort of, it's a long time in tech, but uh, <laughs> indeed, indeed. And we launched and we launched we... a product a year after. So we launched okay. the, the product we have end of uh, thirteen two thousand thirteen. Okay. And what were you trying? What, what problem were you trying to solve when you started the company? I mean, there's always kind of been developer and non-developer solutions for this problem. So, what were you specifically aiming for when you started it? Yeah, so search is a very complex problem. So it's not one specific problem, but you have a lot of sub problems in search and it requires a lot of expertise to tackle them. So what we wanted to solve is to bring a solution that reduces the barrier to entry to develop a great user experience. Because we think about the search box, but search mm-hmm. is actually used in way more different, like way more a uh, different part of a product, like even the whole experience most, most of the time is powered by search. So really simplifying and reducing the barrier to entry while keeping this 
flexibility, capability to extend the product because we know you cannot have a plug and play solution in search. Mm -hmm. Every different use case is different. Every industry is different, which means you need to have this flexibility and this ability to tune the product. And this is why, like on the market, you have on one side open source where you have mm -hmm. the full flexibility. And on the other end, you have some plug and play solution because open source is too complex. We are exactly in the middle. Like we mm -hmm. simplify, um, like the, the, um, entry where you are not a search expert and you are trying to use open source, but we give way more flexibility and ability to develop what you want and you have the control compared to what we call a plug and play solution where you have mm -hmm. zero control on, on anything. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's always been interesting to me, actually. I, I mostly do most of my, my sort of money making work is, is technical documentation work, static site generators. It's a popular, Algolia is a popular product in that space. But before that, and before Algolia, I did a lot of um, uh, content management system work, Drupal predominantly in those days. And I think our advanced solution at the time was, um, was uh, I'm having a complete blank, was uh, one of the Apache, uh, Lucene and the sort of underpinnings of things like Elasticsearch and stuff like that. Um, yes, I can't even remember what they were called anymore. It's been so long, but anyway. <laughs> and it was always that aspect of creating lots of content. Um, but then the often the biggest arguments and discussions with clients were, how do we make sure people find it? Now we have it. And whether that be menus or faceted searching and things like that, like it's always actually been a very important um, topic in anything that's content heavy. You've written it all, you've got it all, but how do people actually find it? Um, so I like the fact that you let people um, customize a lot. And did you take any inspiration from some of those um, well-established open source products like Elastic and, and things like that? Did, is that part of your background? So we, we are working on search for a very long time. I started to work on search NLP in 2004. So mm -hmm. definitely we were knowing like very well. And we, um, me and Nicola, my co-founder, we work in, um, in an enterprise search company based in France okay. called Exalid. So definitely we were very close to the problem of uh, search engine in general. And, uh, and of course, uh, knowing Elasticsearch, like Elasticsearch was founded and created way before Algolia. Mm -hmm. Uh, so definitely, uh, we were knowing like, uh, what people were looking for, especially like this. We are developer ourselves and we were 100% confident like the plug and play solution cannot win on the long term. The one that don't have flexibility control. On the other hand, you have open source, which is great uh, because you can configure everything. But if you really want to have a great experience in a, in a website or inside an application, you need to invest a huge amount of efforts just to have like an instant search, typo tolerance, faceted search, um, all of that is coming at, at a significant cost. And our goal was to reduce that to minutes, um, trying to make sure like developer can have something working in minutes and then they can uh, invest time in differentiation, mm -hmm. making sure they build uh, on top of a standard implementation. Mm -hmm. And, um, Actually, you have 
quite a lot of uh, sub-projects part of Algolia now. There's the search API, which is sort of what you mentioned already. Um, yes. Maybe I should just, just focus on that one a little bit more. Um, it The way that most people experience Algolia is a, is, is a search box, obviously, because that's the standard interface to search. <laughs> um, what, from a developer experience perspective, what does an implementer set up uh, in their project to get Algolia working? Um, yeah, do you have SDKs, plugins, JavaScript libraries, or all of the above? How does someone add that API in the first place? Yeah, so what our goal is to reduce the time to implement. So we have developed a lot of API clients so in, mm-hmm. in all the popular languages. And then we have developed integration for specific framework. First one we did was Ruby on Rails, but then we did Laravel. And recently we launched like an integration with Netlify. So if you are a Netlify user in seconds, you have your content ready to be indexed in Algolia. So our goal is to identify and and simplify the, the initial implementation as much as possible while keeping this flexibility. So reducing the barrier is actually um, not the most complex part. It's really keeping the flexibility that's that's the most complex part. And then some of the other products, you start to get quite interesting and into the territories of various other companies here. Um, So the A-B testing, I'm just – is this a way of uh, people being able to tweak – the parameters for search and seeing how satisfied people are with what they find? Is it is that kind of, I mean, that's what I'd understand from A-B testing. Is, is that what that feature is? Yeah, it's a search A-B test. So you yeah. can test having different configuration of search or different parameters. For example, one of the most popular A-B tests we have is search with personalization and search okay. without personalization. So you can see the yeah. impact of personalization and you can see the impact of different tuning. So it's really search specific. But the good property is that you don't have to use another tool and, and you can do that very quickly in the tool. And we do the distribution of traffic between the two different configurations. So mm-hmm. you don't have to do that uh, yourself. But if you want, we keep this flexibility. So if you want to use a maybe test tool you already have, you can do it. Yeah. Okay. That's this okay. flexibility part we already and always have in the product. And uh, the crawler aspect is, I think, um, is the crawler sort of somewhat comparative to what a lot of the open source tools would do with indexing? Is that something similar? Or? Yes, so crawling is something that exists from a long time in the market. Uh, a lot of crawlers um, that help you to quickly index some web pages or documents. So mm-hmm. that's what we have developed. But again, our unicity is the ability to go very far in the way to extract the relevant information in the page. So we don't just have a crawler that you plug and you have the content. We have a crawler where you can go deep and do some scrapping. Uh, so we have mm-hmm. packaged a crawler and a scrapper in a product. So you can very deeply configure like, mm-hmm. I want this information to be the title. I want to break my page yeah. in different paragraphs to have a very good relevance. And that's what allows us to have a very good 
search and technical documentation, for example. Yeah. If you index yeah. a big page of documentation as one record, it's a mess to have a good relevance because when you do a query, your page will pretty much always match. So what we do is to split the page in a lot of different records, one of them containing a very specific part of the documentation. So when you search, you go very precisely to the good section of the page and you have a better relevance. So that's a project we have built uh, that's called Doc Search that we give for, okay, yeah. for open source projects. Yeah. And the goal is to improve the search in technical documentation because like the good best, like the best practice to have a good search in technical documentation is not that simple. Uh, so again, that's our goal to reduce this barrier to entry and we have packaged it as a product. Yeah. How, how much of that is reliant on the, the writers and the editors creating good structure versus you making a lot of smart uh, <laughs> guesses yourself? <laughs> of course, it's, it's a mix of both. Um, so definitely like the content and the structure is important. Like if you don't mm. have the good content, search cannot do anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So you need to have the good content and the good structure. But then there is a lot of things you can do in search to improve uh, the relevance, um, even synonyms, alternative title, yeah. all of that okay, yeah. is really critical to have a good relevance and we help people to do that. And then I suppose one of the more intriguing uh, products you have here is the AI now, AI is yes. a term that is used a lot, <laughs> yes. but with, with, with Algolia and relevant to search, I mean, I suppose a lot of people start thinking down the path of some very big search companies who will remain nameless. Um, yeah. But what are you using it for and how is it actually benefiting your customers? So I think what I see today, um, so I'm really wearing my technical hats here. What I see on the market is a lot of people that claim they have AI in search and they, they claim that they have like an algorithm that solves everything. They have a model that solves everything. Actually, that's not the state of the art. Like there are so many problems in search. Our vision and what we developed is more a tool set, a studio that will contain all the specific models, algorithms to help our users. So let's take some very concrete example. I was talking about synonyms. Most mm. of the time, it's difficult for people to know which synonym should I use. And the, the people are, are not uh, searching exactly the same way today than they were searching a year ago. So you need to make your synonym set evolve over time. So what we do with AI is we look at the queries of the customer and the rewriting they are doing and we suggest synonym to the to the business uh, mm. people or to the users. So what we do is that we have trained a model to detect synonym using the queries logs. So that's one of the tools we are um, we are developing in our AI studio. Another example is to tune the relevance. So we look at the signals coming from clicks compared to the uh, to the to one specific uh, query. So if you see that, like for example, your item in position three is the one that receives the most clicks and conversion in terms of putting the item in a cart or looking at the content, then we can change the order of the result. 
for this specific query. Um, so that's another example of tools we provide in our AI studio. Of course, there is personalization that I mentioned before, but our vision is really to provide all the tool sets, all the set of models to help developers, to help people having a very good search in a transparent way. So we explain what the model is doing, and it's not a model that's trying to solve like all the different problems of search, but we solve them one by one. And actually, I think that's what we have in the state of the art today. We don't have a generalistic AI. It does not exist, but mm. we have very good and specific models. So building those models over time is really, I think, what will lead us to, uh, to uh, an easier way to reach a great search. So that's what we developed. But indeed, the AI term is, is uh, loaded today. There are so many people claiming... Um, Uh, we have the best AI of the market um, and you don't even know what they are doing. Our tech is different. We explain what we do and we build a lot of models. Uh, and one other, actually, I just saw it. I, I can see it's um, it's in closed beta at the moment, but it's an area that's always fascinated me. So I just wanted to ask about it. Um, you're now also testing uh, natural language searches, which has always been a little bit of a holy grail for a lot of search. Um, yes. It's, Somewhat difficult, obviously, to actually get right, which I'm guessing is why you're testing. <laughs> um, how? What's the process behind that been like? Um, and uh, what, what's what do you think the 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 main use cases for that are going to be? Are you looking at? Um, a search box or are you looking at uh, something like um, chatbots and voice interfaces to content or, or a bit of everything? Um, yeah, what, what, what was the use cases that customers were asking for that made you want to build this feature? So there are uh, different use cases. The first one, as you mentioned, is support chatbots um, when people want to have a specific answer And you reduce the time that human, human will spend on support. Mm. So providing mm. the exact accurate answer is actually providing a huge ROI to the business because you don't spend human time to answer the question. So this one is very concrete and it's a question answer uh, system we, we are building. And definitely like we, we have seen huge progress in the generalistic NLP model, uh, especially the open AI with the uh, GPT-2 and GPT-3 mm -hmm. models have made huge progress and the quality of the answers we have today are very far from what we have seen like in the past. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it continues to reduce, um, <clears throat> reduce the time people spend on, uh, on support. But there are a few other interesting use cases that are coming, um, that are coming too. Uh, one of them is, of course, like um, voice um, mm. devices like Alexa and Google Home. In this context, you cannot come with a list of results and let the user pick which result you want. You need to come with a precise answer. So definitely that's one of the use cases where you need to come with one specific and good answer. And there are other interesting use cases where you are, for example, in the context of an e-commerce store, but you have people that use the search bar, for example, to ask or to return a product. Of course, if you search in your product, returning a product, it's not 
what the what you need to do you need to like show one item of the FAQ or directly propose to the customer to go in the support page of it's more like this moment where you detect a different intent. The intent is not anymore to search a product, but it's to return a product. So you need to redirect the customer to a different part mm. of the website. It, it's interesting because it's starting to turn Algolia, which is mostly known as search, although search is obviously a very kind of broad use case into yes. a little bit of the territory of companies like um I'm having complete blanks today of, of support companies like uh, Zendesk and <laughs> and companies like that too. Um, yep. Although I suppose as it's an API, and this is always the reasoning of many API-driven companies, what people do with the API is largely up to them. It's, it's yes. not a fixed thing you can do. So, <laughs> Yes, yeah. and I think that's all. So the new way people are developing a application in the past, um, if you had to develop a Zendesk, you had to build all the technology yourself. Mm. Now you rely on external um, companies and you want to build the what we call the assembly of the best of breeds components. So Algolia here play a role. We won't build a full support solution yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But then we can help people that build the support solution yeah. to have a better um, performance in terms of answering questions. So that's really our uh, direction and what globally I see on the market for developer yeah. tool and API companies. Um, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Definitely having an impact in an horizontal uh, way. So you don't have an impact only on one category, but on a lot of different use cases and industries. Um, but you only solve one part of the problem, but you solve it so well that it makes sense to assemble different components. Just getting off the technology for a minute. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I obviously, I know Algolia fairly well because of the space I work in, but I do feel like I encounter the company quite a lot and generally in positive lights. And you have a, your website is full of, um, your very, um, uh, transparent about equality in the company. Uh, you'd give a lot to open source projects. Um, you have been running a lot of online events this year to kind of keep the community engaged. So you seem to be one of these sorts of companies that generally people have positive feelings about. <laughs> um, was this always an intention or is it just kind of uh, a byproduct of having a product that people like? <laughs> no, I think it has always been an intention. I think yeah. one of the very uh, specificity of what we do is to address developers. Mm. And developers are very sensitive about marketing in general, and they yep. hate bullshit. <laughs> so we have always... Um, we have always been very sensitive about how we communicate, making sure we are um, we are transparent. We explain what we do. We explain what we don't do, because sometimes people ask us to do something we don't do, and then we recommend yeah. another product, but we explain we don't do it. And I think it's part of those things that developers love, like when you are honest and when you explain that you cannot solve this problem, um, but another product can do it. And of course, to have a contribution like 
Open source is great. I think there are good advantage and we, we use open source and, and we release uh, our API clients in open source. So contributing to open source is important. Um, in our case, like some competition is open source, like Elasticsearch, we, we mm -hmm. mention. Uh, so it's, it's never like, um, uh, only positive or negative. The reality is more complex, but we do support open source. Uh, we do try to have a positive impact. Um, we try to be carbon neutral, for example, and we found mm -hmm. a, a startup that actually use satellite pictures to detect the impact of what they, what they found to make sure like trees are actually planted and, and there is an impact. So we try to, yeah, to make sure like it's not just business, but it's also mm -hmm. a, a company that people like to use and they are proud to use our products and, and we have a positive impact. Yeah. I know it's, it's, I need to say that with a, a lot of humility because the impact we have, of course, is very limited compared to all the problems that exist today. Uh, but we try to make sure we, we keep uh, a part uh, of our time and money for that. Um, mm -hmm. That's our small contribution to, to the scale of the planet. <laughs> And uh, kind of nicely leading into my final question, you have a lot of products and things in progress, I think, already, and it seems to have been a relatively busy year, but what's what's on the plan for the next six to 12 months? So we have a lot of new tools for our AI studio. We are really mm. at the beginning of, of this vision of building a lot of AI tools to help um, our users. So you can expect a lot of new tools. So in practice, new uh, machine learning models to solve one very specific problem of search. Mm -hmm. So we have dozens of them in, uh, um, in the in the process of um, of development. Uh, mm -hmm. Another thing that will be very interesting is to announce our uh, next architecture. We are completely uh, redeveloping the architecture of the engine okay. to develop the first, completely first cloud search engine. Uh, that will be running natively in the cloud with full scalability and full um, full ability to to be um, uh, extendable with a lot mm -hmm. of um, webhook and and so on. So that's that's something super exciting we are working on um, closely with cloud prov provider, of course. So those are the two big projects for next year. Um, But, but of course, we have a lot of overs, smaller projects that will yeah. come uh, during the year. And that was my interview with Julien Lemoyne of Algolia. Probably getting his name very, very wrong. Do apologize. I will do Algolia on um, Dexpose probably first thing in the new year, actually. Um, And uh, yeah, because I've always wanted to get my hands a bit more on Algolia, actually. And I have a very good practical project to try, even. So now, what's next? A few updates from me. So let's head on over to christianchiller.com. What have I been up to? Yes, I did this week Dexpose with Panic, the new Nova native Mac code editor from Panic. What did I think of it? We'll have to go and watch the video to find out. And I did part three of Frozen Offerings, the solo Dungeons Dragons um, scenario. Um, I don't think there's too many other updates from me at this point. We're kind of wrapping up towards the end of the year. So I'm not going to be doing too much more myself. 
Um, but I will definitely take the next week and a bit to work on a few things. So there'll probably be more updates from me in the new year. I think I will do a uh, roundup show. Um, so uh, to a bit of a look back on the year and get some things there too. Um, I know I have a bunch of uh, blog posts, actually, I should share as well. Why are they not showing up on the homepage? That's something I need to look at, actually. That's a problem. Uh, why GitHub built their own internal and developer platform? Why Support One built their own internal developer platform? And I also just did a recent post for Humanitech, which I think just missed the last update to my website of developer experience for APIs. So can have a look at that. Two... Um, I don't think I have much more to share. Uh, thanks for joining me for the year. It's been quite an interesting year. I kept the show going. We've been through a few changes together, but I uh, kept it going. And I would love to hear from you. Reach out at christianchiller.com. You can find a whole bunch of contact details there, which I will also update over the holidays, I think. I know a few are a bit out of date there. And until next time, thank you very much for joining me.